Welcome to episode 229 of Crack the Customer Code. Don't forget to nominate the next podcast employees of the month, Adam and Jeannie. Here's the thing. Customer service is important no matter the channel, right? What's a channel, Jeannie? Uh, You need to go back to some of our earlier 101 episodes. (laughs) You mean like ABC or NBC? Yes, let's go with that. <laughs> We're going to go that way, okay? They they all really old school. <laughs> um, our millennials have no idea because they watch everything streaming. So. Exactly. <laughs> Netflix. Yeah, but exactly. Yes, it doesn't matter what channel you're on. Customer service matters. Yep. And even as we say that, though, social media has completely changed the game for customers and companies alike. And that's why I think we have a really fascinating discussion to share with everybody today with our guest, Dan Gingas. Oh, absolutely. And Dan's worked with a lot of social teams and big brands, and he's a podcaster himself. So we've got some good audio. And (laughs) he's been interviewing social customer care leaders from many brands that we all know. Right. And so now he has a great new book called Winning at Social Customer Care. And we talk about that as well as some examples of both the guests he's had on his podcast and their brands and the brands he's worked with. So get ready to learn, everybody. Get out your notepads and pencils. It's time to take notes. <laughs> Woohoo! And before we introduce Dan, uh, Jeannie likes likes. <laughs> it's just me, though. <laughs> it's just you. I, I Adam don't, doesn't I, care if you I don't like need him. the validation, personally. <laughs> oh, Wow. <laughs> Oh, this is so much fun, Jeannie. It's always so much fun. But yeah, please uh, like us, check us out on Overcast, check us out on iTunes, check us out wherever you can find a C-Suite radio and like, share, etc. But now it is all about learning more about social customer care. So let's hear a little bit about Dan, Jeannie. Excellent. Yes, Dan Gingis's 20-year career has consistently focused on delighting customers, spanning multiple disciplines, including social media, customer service, marketing, and digital customer experience. Dan has hands-on experience as an executive at multiple Fortune 300 companies. He's also the author of a new book, Winning at Social Customer Care, How Top Brands Design Engaging Experiences on Social Media. He also hosts the Focus on Customer Service podcast, interviewing leaders at brands which are known for outstanding customer service in social media. He's a frequent conference speaker, including Social Media Marketing World, Corporate Social Media Summit, and many, many others. And he's also been mentioned on several notable industry lists, including the 30 most influential people in social customer service by Converse Social and the top 15 NPS and customer service thought leaders to follow in 2017 by Customer Gauge. He resides in Chicago, the greatest city in the world, with his family and is an avid Cubs fan, which means I personally think he's an awesome person. (laughs) Major, major brownie points with me. Dan, we're so happy to have you here. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Hey, Dan, great to have you on the show. Understanding social customer care seems to still elude some brands. And there's all these explosive and crazy stories in the news every day. Why do you think it's so challenging for brands to get it right? Well, it's a great question. And I actually think that those big public relation nightmares that we've been reading about and seeing in the last few weeks are one of the reasons why brands don't get involved because they feel erroneously that 
if they just stay out of the conversation, they can't screw things up and they don't have to hear complaints from people. Now, we all know that if people are complaining about your brand, they're doing it whether you're part of the conversation or not. And more times than not, by far, it's better for you to be part of the conversation because you can address complaints and you can hopefully solve problems. But I think the number one reason is fear. I think they, I think that companies are fearful that if they set up shop on social media and start answering questions, that all they're going to get are complainers. And what they're really missing there is that most complaints are a real opportunity for your business to make impactful change. It could be that there's an underlying problem that is causing lots of your customers' issues that if you can fix that problem, you'll actually reduce your customer service expense and improve your customer experience. Or if you're listening carefully to your customers, they often have great ideas about how to improve your product or service. And if you can take those back to your developers or product people, it's a really good way to make your offering even stronger. Well, and I think you bring up a great point about how um, responding in the right way and, and being aware of how social customer care can really support your initiatives is really about uh, understanding that you actually cut things off before they happen in some ways, like it reduces all the cost of something blowing up. And I thought it was really interesting to read about some of the brands you wrote about. And one of them, T-Mobile, um, they have a really extensive training program for just for their social customer care uh, reps. And it's two months, which really, I think, you know, stood out to me and, and probably you as you wrote the book. It's it's so obvious that they prioritize getting it right from the beginning uh, that it it's worth it. That that investment of training for that length of time is worth it to them because of it. So what about those companies who simply don't feel they can invest in that kind of training? What can they do you know, today or tomorrow or in the next couple of weeks? What can they do to really help provide the best experience from their people? Well, you know, one of the things that I've loved about hosting my own podcast for a while is I talk to brands of all different sizes and shapes from different parts of the country and the world. And, you know, they all are slightly different. So there's no answer for everybody. I think with T-Mobile, you know, obviously they're gigantic and mm -hmm. their volume is really, really high. And Michelle Matson, who is I mean, one of the experts in the field, said something to me that I thought made a lot of sense. She basically said, look, these people represent our company and we're not just going to throw them out there without the right tools and the right education in order to do that. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they spend so much time on training, which I think makes a ton of sense. But I also interviewed uh, the head of a, a series of uh, brew houses called Scotty's Brew House, which is in the Midwest. So this is a small business. He's got you know maybe a dozen places, beer, pizza, et cetera. And he is just as dedicated to customer care in both social media and in other channels. And he really spends a lot of time training every one of his staff members, whether they're a cashier or a waiter or, uh, or you know, really in any role on how to talk to customers, how to uh, sympathize and empathize, how to be kind. He, he talks a lot about how it's, it's the stuff that you learned in kindergarten about being nice to your neighbor uh, and that he really looks for employees that exude that. So I don't think that the size of your company should matter um, in terms of how you're able to train or or be ready for social care. A lot of it is that you you, know, you have to start with people that have a sense of empathy, enjoy talking with other people, 
Uh, don't get personally upset or offended when a customer is angry and instead are able to remain calm and try to find a solution. So you want problem solvers. And in, in social care, especially, you need people that can write, which is generally the one uh, skill set that is different than other customer service channels. Certainly the phone uh, is usually writing is not something that you look for. And in particular on Twitter, you have to, as my English teacher in high school used to say, you have to write tight. And so you got to find people that are able to talk concisely at 140 characters. That's such a great point. And I, I think that overall, as people are hiring these social customer care teams, they're probably not thinking about like a writing component to it. And it's it's so critical, but it's often overlooked. So that's a really excellent point. Well, one of the things that often comes up is this question of, do I hire for somebody who has customer service experience or somebody who has social media experience? And I make the point in the book that you can teach anyone Twitter and Facebook. It's not that hard, mm -hmm. but it is really hard to teach people empathy or teach people to care about a customer or teach people to be really resourceful in finding the answer to a question. And I guess similarly with writing, it's just an added skill set that, um, that, again, customer service people aren't used to being asked for. So I recommend when you're hiring people for social care that you absolutely do some sort of a writing sample, request a writing sample, so that you know people can use proper spelling and grammar, et cetera, because as Michelle Matson said, they are you know, they are the face of your brand. Mm -hmm. So bad spelling and grammar does not look good for your brand. Mm -hmm. Is it your, well, your, a... or your? <laughs> exactly. Or your. Or, yeah. or loose. I loosed. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's the one that, that one kills me every time. I don't know why. <laughs> well, you know, that's a great point. And yeah, that's sort of an age old habit conundrum, however you want to look at it, that people have always been too focused on the operational skills or the technical expertise and have missed hiring around the core things that are much harder to teach. You know, the, the core concepts of empathy and relating to people and just basic human skills. So it's good that these companies are looking for that and trying to find, you know, a balance between somebody who can write well, but somebody who also just knows how to relate in general. And I think to Jeannie's point, that that's findable in both the small business world and the large business world. Sure, T-Mobile has to hire hundreds and hundreds of these people, whereas Scotty's Brewhouse might need one. But uh, you know, given that the original question was about the different sizes of companies and how to approach this, I think it is something that's solvable at any company size. Oh, absolutely agreed. And one of the things that's really interesting is, you know, even when you train them, and I love that all these companies are focusing on training because that seems to be the thing that gets ignored the most in customer experience these days. But even when you train people, sometimes these situations just escalate beyond the front lines. And you offer a guide of when to get management or HR or even the police involved, what is essentially something that starts as a customer service situation. So first of all, you know, I come from retail, so I have had to deal with this stuff and it's it's a party. Let me tell you, have you ever been involved in those types of situations? And what do you recommend to those preparing their teams for these, you know, unlikely, but these really level 10 type situations? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think as in any emergency, the first step is to remain calm, right? And there are very, very few social media PR disasters that are truly crippling to the company. I mean, even these really high profile ones that we've seen the last few weeks with airlines and some others, 
you know, people talk about it. It's embarrassing. It's a couple of weeks and then people are on to the next thing and the next quarterly earnings comes and goes and there's barely a blip. So I think remaining calm is is a really important step. But the other thing is really just having a list of people that you know you can call at any time, given what the situation is about. So, you know, we've had examples in the past where, um, you know, we had disgruntled employees or the soon to be ex-wives of disgruntled employees uh, who were posting stuff on our Facebook page. And, you know, whenever that happens, I immediately get HR involved because I want, you know, I really want them to handle it. They know how to they know how to deal with employees um, and I, I want to get it off the public space as soon as possible. There are certain times where, you know, there is a genuine emergency and we've seen a lot of uh, stories recently uh, about Facebook and, and serious emergencies happening on Facebook and, and the sort of public's cry of, of getting Facebook to help recognize those more often. And they do a great job. They, they've got a lot of machine learning around when to identify potential suicide attempts and that sort of thing. And sometimes, unfortunately, brands get drawn into that. Um, we did have a lady at a previous job who um, was upset about uh, something having to do with her credit card and repeatedly was threatening to kill herself. And at some point, you kind of get past this, okay, you know, that shit, that was probably a joke to yikes. I mean, she said this enough times. Now we're actually worried about her. And in that particular case, we called the police and, and she got a visit from the police at her home. And I'd like to think that that was helpful to her in one way or another. Um, and the good news at least was that the, uh, the scary post stopped and I think that she was able to get help. So you never know. It's really hard to prepare for being in social care because so much stuff comes up that you po- you can't possibly predict. And one of the things that I've been fascinated about, especially recently, is this idea that there really is no such thing as an offline experience anymore because we're all walking around with smartphones and we can all take a picture or a video and bring an offline experience online. And that's a different story from just a few years ago when, you know, if you had a bad experience on an airplane or even, you know, somebody got dragged off an airplane, a couple people heard about it, right? Because (laughs) there wasn't anybody taking a video of it and putting it on Facebook. And so that is a really, really different world we live in. And what it means is that people in social care have to be ready for almost anything. I mean, Do we really think that United Social Care Team was ready to see that video come through their feed? I mean, they were as surprised as anybody else, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I'm sure they had a great day, (laughs) a great week. (laughs) Yeah, month, (laughs) et cetera. Yeah, Um, yeah, it's interesting because everything's, yeah, it's a spectator sport and all like uh, Jay Bear says and all that type of stuff. But you really, when you apply these things, because... I can relate to what you're talking about. We've had to call the police in retail. You know, we've had people threaten. We never had really the suicide thing, but we had a lot of threats. You know, I'm going to come back, things like mm-hmm. that. And yeah, it really escalates. And I think now that it's a social world, if, if those things had been filmed, you know, per se, if somebody in the lobby had filmed them and put them on social, it would have changed the whole dynamic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's it's really about kind of what you referred to before, Dan, about the fact that it's about something bigger than social. <laughs> it's really not just about social. It's about the fact that you have to prepare people for all of these various situations. And you mentioned where, you know, you were able to possibly literally, you know, step in and, and help somebody. But I'm wondering, because you've, you've worked with so many different types of brands throughout your career. Um, 
are there any like customer service situations that really stand out to you when you think that was really cool that we were able to do that for that customer. We were really able to step in when they needed us and take a situation that was negative and either turn it into a positive or at least put the brakes on the negative so it didn't spin out of control and become one of these stories that we've heard about. Are there any examples that really stand out to you for that? Yeah, well, I love the examples of where you can turn a detractor into an advocate. I Mm -hmm. think that's so powerful. And it is so hard to do in other customer service channels because it's just a one-to-one relationship. And in social, as we all know, it is a spectator sport and there's other people watching. And uh, so one of my favorite examples that I do include in the book was uh, was at Discover. A guy tweeted at us and, you know, was a little bit snarky and said something about, you know, I went on vacation and came back and there were three or four applications for the Discover card in my mailbox. You know, persistence or lack of coordination, I think, was his question. And um, and we had taught our agents to try to emulate the writer's tone when possible and when, you know, in a respectful way. And so our agent took just a little bit of snark back, which I loved, (laughs) and started by saying, you know, wow, we must really want you as a customer. And then immediately went to, here's how to solve the problem. You know, DM us with your name and address. We'll take you off the list. So this guy writes back and says, wow, okay, I'll bite just because of your great response. Uh, Amy, I think her name was, uh, hashtag great service. Mm. And I went back to this guy. This example is uh, several years old, and I went and looked it up recently, and I actually tweeted at him back, and I said, hey, did you ever get a Discover card? And he said, I sure did, and I've had it for several years now. Oh, my gosh. Customer. <laughs> and, uh, and so, like, that's amazing, right? This mm-hmm. guy started off as just being a snarky guy, and, I mean, he wasn't really angry, but he was snarky, and, mm-hmm. and we were able to turn him into a brand-new customer. And I see those examples all the time, um, both with companies I've been at, but also with all the companies that I've had the pleasure of interviewing. Um, another favorite one of mine um, is uh, is the um, ah, the music streaming service. I'm completely blanking on their name. Spotify. Um, Spotify. Spotify. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so Spotify does a really cool thing where they integrate their product into their customer service responses. So. Another example, a guy named Steve, he writes at Spotify, he's being a little snarky because he's identified somewhere in the terms and conditions, they used the word authorize and they used the British spelling with an S. Mm. And he underlines the word and he tweets at them with the picture of the word underlined saying, you know, at Spotify, you guys had one job. And (laughs) so they respond back and they said, oh, uh, we think we understand how this might happen. Check this out. And there's a link. And when you click on the link, you get to a Spotify playlist. And the playlist is called Hey Steve. And as you read (laughs) down the titles of all the songs in the playlist, it answers Steve's question about why they use the British spelling of authorized. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And of course, Steve writes back and said, I love you, Spotify, <laughs> you know, with, a, with a heart emoji. <laughs> so I think there's, you know, it doesn't take, you don't, we've all heard the stories of the, you know, the guy who got the steak delivered at the mm-hmm. airport and all that sort of stuff. I don't think you have to do that much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great when you can, but especially again, if you get back to, you know, what can small businesses do? It's really hard to spend the money and the time and the resources and have the connectivity with other areas of the company to do all that. I don't think all that's necessary. I think it's just that you listen to people, respond respectfully, and do the best you can to solve their problems. And then as I think both brands that I just mentioned 
do have a little fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, people like people like a brand having a personality. And, uh, and, you know, when you can turn that around and turn a negative person into a positive, that to me is just immensely powerful. Mm-hmm, for sure. And if you can actually gain them as a customer, like the Discover example, you for the rest of your life, you can be like, well, here's your ROI right there. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, is why we, this is why we do this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Those are great. There, have you found resistance to... Yeah, sort of loosening up the reins to allow teams to you know be a little snarky and to be a little human. Have you found resistance at different levels of the organization to that ever? Well, I think it depends on the company. Um, you know, snarkiness has its limits, uh, just like humor has its limits, right? Something that I find hilarious, you may find offensive. So we got to be careful with that. And and I think similar with snarkiness. I do think it has to do with the brand. There are definitely some brands out there that can get away with, you know, beyond snarkiness, sarcasm, almost, uh, you, you know, almost even even a level higher than that. But that's because that, you know, those are brands where they're either millennial loving brands who, you know, the, the millennials understand all that or they just sort of have a reputation where it allows them to do that. I think there's lots of other brands that have a really you know, clean cut image or family friendly or something where it just wouldn't work for them to do that. So I think you have to know your own company, but being human is certainly a universal element. I think every company can and should be human, you know, expressing the personality of whatever brand that you work for. Um, So I don't really see a lot of pushback with being human. I think depending on the company you know, you may have to convince some executives if you want to go the snark route uh, because there is some danger there and there's some opportunity there. Um, but I think sticking to the human part is a good answer for anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially if your brand has a personality and there are some standards around it, then it makes it even easier to be human in a weird way. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You know kind of what lane to stay in a little bit, but you have the freedom to... Uh, to drive the type of car you want, if we want to keep going with that analogy. <laughs> For sure. And, and also remember that, you know, there is a human behind that Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her name's Susie or his name is Stan or whatever it is. And you have to also be able to incorporate that human element as well. And mm-hmm. in other words, every agent is not the same person. They're not going to talk the same way. They're not going to have the same personality. And I do think it's important to let your agents show their personality as well. Mm-hmm. Some people get nervous about this because they think, well, it's not going to be consistent. I would argue that most people are not you know, sifting through your Twitter feed to see whether you're being consistent in your responses. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that we internally do, but I don't think outside people are doing that. And when you can let people be themselves, they tend to treat people better, be friendly in their own way. You know, we had an agent at Discover that, that you know, was a little bit more humorous than some of the other agents. And, and we just let her go. And you know what? She was one of our best agents and got, got you know, some of the best ratings from customers. And, and we just sort of let her be herself. Of course, we set up some guardrails. But um, there were others that were much more serious and to the point and answering questions. And I, I don't think anybody ever wrote back and said, well, why can't you be funny like the other one? Mm-hmm. So I think, it's, <laughs> I think you have to – it's kind of a combination of brand personality and the actual human who's doing mm-hmm. the job. Yeah, that's a great point. Great point. Um, so if our listeners are hearing all this and they're thinking, wow, this sounds like a lot and – you know, we maybe our leadership isn't quite as into social or they have their own limitations. But 
What do you think is one thing that they could walk away with from this discussion to use your word to really win at social customer care? Well, I would say, and this is going to sound like two things, but they're very related, is you have to listen to your customers. And I believe you have to respond to everyone. And, you know, Twitter has done its own research that shows that when customers receive a response from a brand, they are their willingness to pay more money to that brand goes up and it actually goes up in line with how fast the response was. So if you can respond really quickly, even if you respond really quickly to say, hey, we hear you, we're working on your problem, it's going to take us a little while to solve it, we'll get back to you, totally fine. That's better than waiting an hour or two hours to respond. Um, but the listening part's really key because if you're not listening, then you're not hearing. And if you're not hearing, you don't know how your customers are experiencing your brand, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We haven't chatted about the fact that lots of people go on to social media and compliment brands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, go ask a, a 1-800 agent how many times they picked up the phone and there's someone on the other line <laughs> just saying, hey, just called to say you guys are doing a great job. <laughs> you know, I mean, it never happens, right? But it happens all the time in social media. So listening and responding, although those are two things, they're very, very much related. And I think that is when you boil it all down, that's the key to success. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. And I think we've all been there as a customer when you try to like pay it forward or give somebody a compliment and it feels like they didn't hear you and they feel it feels like they didn't care that you said that. And so replying to the positive, I think it can go so far and so many brands miss that opportunity on social. They totally do. And even if you don't have the time to reply, a simple like, an occasional retweet, something like that, it goes so far with people, you know, oh my gosh, this brand liked my tweet. And I mean, that means a lot to people. And uh, remember that these are, the complimenters are people that are taking time out of their day to publicly praise your company. I mean, these are your advocates. These are the people you, you know, who already love you. So you might as well do just a little bit to make sure they continue to love you. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Fantastic. (laughs) All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much. This has been great. And it's, you know, it's such an ever evolving topic and I, I love your take on everything. And Please tell our listeners uh, where they can find you, where they can find the book, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Well, I am always on Twitter at <laughs> dgingis. That's D-G-I-N-G-I-S-S. And you can also hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like, which is at slash Dan Gingis. Uh, the book's available on Amazon at, um, at both a Kindle version as well as a paperback version. And uh, my website is winningatsocial.com, and that's where you'll find information about the book and my blog and my podcast and all the other stuff, good stuff going on. Um, So looking forward to connecting with people. Excellent. Well, we were so happy to have you join us, and uh, congratulations on the book and all your success, and keep fighting the good fight for uh, customers. So thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you. You guys keep doing the same. I really uh, (laughs) love and respect what you guys are doing. So keep up the great work. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much, Dan. I really liked the message here of how customers and agents are people. (laughs) So we need to let them be who they are. Instead of really talking about the tools, we really got into what makes the emotional connection work. Absolutely. I think the the human side is important. The uh, The big caveat, of course, is you need to hire right. Mm-hmm. If you hire wrong and you let them off the leash, 
you're going to have some problems. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. it, it really is about hiring right, training and culture. Mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely, you know, empowering people to solve. We talk about this all the time outside of the mm-hmm. social contacts, empowering people mm-hmm. to solve issues in real time and don't be afraid to let them do it on social. Amen. So go out there and be yourself, you know, within parameters. <laughs> <laughs> within the lines Jeannie has drawn for you. <laughs> well, we thank you so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code, a proud member of the C-Suite radio family. We always appreciate you joining us and sharing this podcast. If you like C-Suite radio, then check out On Demand C-Suite TV and watch in-depth interviews for C-Suite leaders and entrepreneurs. Get insider secrets by going to csuitetv.com. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our customer experience investigation consulting at 360connects.com. And I'm Adam Tapork, and you can learn more about me and our customer service workshops and training at customersatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.